There are those who say... Leave well enough alone. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. You don't mess with success. While others have something quite different to say. The Lexus RX. With dynamic handling and available 12.3-inch touchscreen, it's the best-selling luxury crossover of all time. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. in the radio don't be looking at me but you can be looking at me hello how you doing everybody out there on periscope uh, uh, via twitter or thank you to twitter facebook live youtube live and of course those of you listening live on the radio on our stream or any stream where you get the show or people who listen to it when they want it the way they want it uh and uh, that is via the podcast i'm leslie marshall great show in store for you on this tuesday it is cold we had hail here yesterday in los angeles my kids love it my kids like love cold weather and snow being from boston originally i do not most people think that i'm used to cold weather because i grew up in it no i'm always freezing i like warm temperatures but anyway you didn't tune in to hear all of that about my life Um, so, uh, let's get to it and check what is, as we like to do at the top of the hour on this program, let's check what's ripped. First up, federal allocations of coronavirus vaccine doses to states and other jurisdictions are expected to increase by about 16% next week, easing shortages that have intensified nationwide without fully alleviating supply problems. Want you to know my husband's getting his first dose this week. Um, my husband actually could have gotten it a few weeks ago, but he's an orthopedic surgeon and he wanted to let people who may be closer to the front line or older than him go first. Kudos to him for that. Uh, but he is getting it this week. He told me, though, a lot of um, the women that he works with, and this is specific to women, um, they are concerned if they want to have kids someday, if there will be any negative uh, repercussions uh, for having this vaccine now, because, you know, obviously they haven't had the normal, you know, five to 20 year period to research it. So that's when you see those a third of healthcare workers don't want it. Some women who are of childbearing age are concerned what that'll mean for them if they want children or more children than they have currently. Jeff Zients, who's coordinator of the White House's coronavirus response, is expected to inform governors of the increase. He's having a call with governors today, according to two people familiar with the situation. Of course, they always have to speak on condition of anonymity. They're not authorized to discuss it. That's how the press gets it from these leaks. 
Uh, the weekly allocation is forecast to go from about 8.6 million doses to about 10 million doses. The vaccine is distributed on, distributed on a population basis among 64 jurisdictions, including 50 states, eight territories, and six major cities. Now, Zients is expected to stipulate the increased supply will come from releasing more doses of Moderna's vaccine, one of two authorized for emergency use in the U.S. The other available product is also a two-dose regimen that was developed by Pfizer and the German company BioNTech. The stepped-up allocations are protect, projected to last through the coming weeks. They'll be welcome news to state and local officials who have implored the federal government for better forecasting of vaccine availability and transparency about supply. Now, the White House declined to comment, but in a briefing earlier today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, there are some calls this afternoon with governors to brief them on these plans and give them an update on how we will continue to work together even more efficiently, I quote. She also said President Biden would be addressing vaccination uh, later today. Both companies have said they're ramping up production. Each has pledged to provide 100 million doses to the United States by the end of March, another 100 million in the second quarter. That's good news. Now we got to get coordination between federal government, state government, and uh uh, the private entities like Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, et cetera, to, you know, really mesh. That's been part of the problem. Let's rip another. Trust surged in the federal government since President Biden's inauguration, at least when it comes to COVID-19. But that's almost entirely because Democrats have gained confidence. According to the latest installment of the Axios-Ipsos Coronavirus Index, the big picture here is that Americans reported the biggest improvement in their mental and emotional health since our survey began last March and the highest trust level since April about the federal government providing them accurate virus information and looking out for their best interests. Can I just say, as a Democrat, um, when Donald Trump was elected, I'm not going to lie, I think I cried for three days when Hillary lost, not only because she was my candidate, because I was very frightened what Donald Trump would do. I am married to a Muslim American. I was very concerned about the Islamophobic uh, attitude uh, by many Trump supporters and, and by him himself. Um, and in addition to that, I was very concerned what he would do to this nation, including the division. And I was afraid of something like January 6th happening, but I never said it because it would be highly irresponsible um, or to give people ideas if that wasn't in anybody's minds. But I wasn't surprised, sadly, on January 6th. Um, and, and, and I do want to say it is so refreshing to me uh, not only as, as a talk show host, a political analyst, democratic strategist, as a voter, as a woman, as a human being, to have normalcy return, decorum, a president and ex-presidential, people keeping us truly in the loop, science, medical advisors making decisions about medical pandemics, and a press secretary who doesn't personally attack individuals or lie even if you may not like her answer, uh, it is a press secretary's job to make the president look good, obviously. And it is also a press secretary's uh, job. But, you know, I mean, uh, you know, refreshing. I'm hearing out of Washington that people are saying with this White House, if they don't know the answer, they say, I don't know. And, 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 and by, by the way, that's incredibly powerful. It, it's called honesty. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You know, my husband is very, very, very successful as a physician and has a huge following it's very hard to get in to see him or get a surgery uh, because so many people like him. And that's because he's honest. And there are times he says, I don't know. None of us know at all. I mean, except me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, I just have to say, 
I, I think many of us are sleeping better because we know we're not going to have in the middle of the night our phone going off with some tweet or somebody's finger on the nuclear codes or, or somebody who's, you know, PO'd, you know, some, you know, ally of ours or, you know, worse yet, a terrorist organization. I mean, the list goes on. Anyway, trust surged in the federal government since the inauguration when it comes to COVID, like I said. And I was telling you about this big uh, picture Um, The highest trust level since April about the federal government providing them accurate virus information, looking out for their best interest, not Biden's best interest. The survey also found a new high for interest in getting vaccinated. Half of the respondents now saying they want to take it as soon as they can get it. Just 12 percent said they'd signed up or made an appointment to get the vaccine. Overwhelming majorities had not yet sought out information from their doctors, pharmacies, government health departments or social media. And let's be honest, they're afraid. We've lived in a fear-mongering, you know, spread the fear, be afraid culture for four years. And there are many people afraid, afraid of voting, afraid of not voting, afraid of the government, afraid of the press, afraid of this vaccine, afraid of getting it, afraid of not, afraid of COVID, afraid it's some made up virus, which it is not. Um, A lot of fear sadly, has been dictating our lives. Hopefully that will change soon. So here's what folks are saying. Pollster Chris Jackson, who's the senior VP for Ipsos Public Affairs, he said the rising numbers are indicative of the switch in government and that it's almost entirely based on trust in Biden. And that would be a good thing because more people now getting the uh, vaccines and, and, and confident to get them. He said Biden has an opportunity to get people into it, but he's going to have to do it. It's not just going to happen. People are kind of waiting to be told to take the vaccine. Respondents were relatively confident, 62% in the Biden administration's ability to make the vaccine widely available, divided about 52% about whether the new government can quickly revive the economy. And Jackson said that suggests the public may be less patient with Biden pursuing policies right now that aren't directly tied to dealing with the virus. It also might signal that Americans know that Republicans will vote Republican, Democrats will vote Democrat, and we're going to have some gridlock because the Senate's 50-50. The Democrats don't have as strong and large a majority in the House And it's politics unusual, as we're seeing from Republicans who are preventing stimulus checks from going out to uh, Americans with the package that the president has proposed and that Democrats support. Now, Republicans' trust in the federal government was flat, marginally lower than in the survey taken between January 8th and 11th. That was the last time in this poll that question was asked. Independence, about flat, marginally higher, so, you know, mid to high. Uh, What's really driving the trust gains is how deeply Democrats distrusted former President Donald Trump, how strongly they trust Biden as opposed to that, translating to a 25 to 30 percent 30 percentage point gain just over the past 14 days. And it's worth noting that Republicans are not abandoning trust proportionately to Democrats gains in trust. 58 percent overall say they trust Biden to give them accurate information. 27 percent say they trust Trump. So you might say that a quarter of, uh, you know, or a fifth, a little more than a fifth, um, you know, if, if you look at the demographics with, you know, a, a poll, if this is, you know, how accurate it is, um, about a fifth uh, still trust the president. And a lot of those are Republicans. Overall, 50 percent of Americans now say they have a great or fair amount of trust in the federal government to provide accurate information about the virus. 50 percent, not very much trust or none at all. Uh, that's the highest it's been, by the way, since April 3rd through 6th, back in 2020, a survey taking then comparing with a 40 percent trust versus 60% distrust split when that question was asked just two weeks ago. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with more Ripped right after this. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Uh, part two, uh, duh, uh, duh, uh, uh, for um, ripped from the headlines. Uh, let us uh, continue. Well, President Biden is scheduled to take executive actions as early as this Thursday. That would be to reopen the federal marketplaces that sell the Affordable Care Act health plans and to lower recent barriers to joining Medicaid. The orders will be his first step since taking office to help Americans gain health insurance, a prominent campaign goal that has assumed escalating significance as this pandemic has dramatized the need for affordable health care for so many. It's deprived millions, this pandemic, of Americans' coverage as they've lost their jobs and the economic fallout. Remember, there are many people who have um, uh, who have insurance through their employer, and uh, the COBRA period uh, for some uh, has ended, or maybe they don't have COBRA, depending on the type of program their employer uh, provides. So the... Um, you know, under one order, healthcare.gov, it's an online insurance marketplace for Americans who cannot get affordable coverage through their jobs. It's going to swiftly reopen for at least a few months, according to uh, people inside and outside the administration familiar with the plans. And ordinarily, signing up for such coverage tightly restricted outside a six-week period uh, late each year. But obviously, that's going to change. Another part of Biden's scheduled actions, the individual said, is intended to reverse Trump-era changes to Medicaid that critics say damaged Americans' access to the safety net insurance. Now, it's unclear clear whether the president's order will undo a Trump era rule allowing states to impose work requirements, a simple direct federal health officials uh, to review rules to make sure that they expand coverage to the program that currently ensures about 70 million low income people right now in the United States. Now, the actions are part of a series of rapid executive orders that the president is issuing in his initial days in office to demonstrate he intends to steer the machinery of government in a direction far different than that from his predecessor. And over 84 million people voted for him to do just that. He is keeping his campaign promises. Why people are so surprised, this is not, you know, a rabbit that came out of his hat. He has been very vocal about this prior to even becoming the nominee. He has been saying for many months that helping people get insurance is a crucial federal responsibility. But until the actions planned for this week, he's not yet focused on this broader objective, shining a spotlight instead on trying to expand vaccinations and other federal responses to the pandemic. The most ambitious parts of his campaign health care platform would require Congress to provide consent and money. Those include creating a government insurance option alongside the Affordable Care Act health plans sold by private insurers and helping poor residents afford ACA coverage if they live in, in about a dozen states, which currently have not expanded their Medicaid programs under the decade-old health law. Now, a spokesman for the, the White House House uh, declined to discuss the plans, but two HHS officials, of course, remaining anonymous, said that the event at the White House uh, not announced that they were anticipating that the event would be held uh, this Thursday. Now, according to a document that was obtained by the Washington Post, the president also intends to sign an order rescinding the so-called Mexico City rule. That rule compels nonprofits in other countries that receive federal family planning aid to promise not to perform or encourage abortions. Biden advisors last week previewed an end to this rule, which for decades has reappeared with Republicans occupying the White House and vanishes under Democrats. Again, no huge surprise. If you think about it, though, a federal agency can't encourage and certainly can't perform an abortion. A federal agency. Look at the the document also says Biden will disavow a multinational anti-abortion declaration that the Trump administration signed three months ago. The action is to expand insurance through the ACA and Medicaid coming as the Supreme Court is considering two cases that could shape the outcome of this. 
One case, an effort to overturn rulings by lower federal courts, which have held that states' rules requiring some residents to work or prepare for jobs to qualify for Medicaid are illegal. The other case involves an attempt to overturn the entire Affordable Care Act. According to the individuals inside and outside the administration, the order to reopen the federal insurance marketplaces will be framed in the context of the pandemic, essentially saying that anyone eligible for ACA coverage who's been harmed by COVID will be allowed to sign up. Quote, this is absolutely in the COVID age and the recession caused by COVID, according to a healthcare policy leader. There is financial displacement we need to address. Um, and the reopening of healthcare.gov will be accompanied by an infusion of federal support to draw attention to the opportunity through advertising and other outreach efforts. Statistically and interestingly, many Trump supporters are recipients of the Affordable Care Act or Medicaid. There have been Republican governors who, after mouthing off against it, expanded it in their stakes. They had the need and they had no choice. We'll have to see if this is just a bipartisan deal when we you know, see this being the legislative part that Congress needs to approve, uh, especially for funding, uh, how they're going to uh, vote. I think you're going to see um, some Republicans on board simply because of their constituents who are suffering and, and really need affordable care um, and uh, don't have an option in their state currently to, to have that. Uh, by the way, uh, re, you know, reopening healthcare.gov, reversing the Trump administration's stance that supporting such outreach was wasteful. During its first two years, it slashed money for advertising and for community groups known as navigators that would help people enroll. Now, it's not clear whether restoring outreach will be part of the Biden order or will be done more quietly within federal healthcare agencies. Federal rules allow already people to qualify for special enrollment period to buy ACA health plans if their circumstances change in important ways, including uh, losing a job. But such exceptions require people to seek permission individually, and many are unaware that they can do so. Trump health officials also tightened the rules for qualifying uh, special enrollment. Let's rip another. Senate Majority Leader, or sorry, sorry, have it, Senate Minority, hello, Senate Minority, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has abandoned his demand that Democrats state in writing that they would not abandon the legislative filibuster. McConnell was never going to agree to a 50-50 power sharing deal without putting up a fight over keeping the 60-vote threshold. Let's be honest, Democrats wouldn't have either. But the Minority Leader ultimately caved after it became clear that delaying the organization resolution was no longer feasible. And this is what we're hearing. Centrist Democrats, Joe Manchin, a Democrat in West Virginia, and Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat from Arizona, privately indicated to McConnell that their long-held views that they would not vote to end the filibuster. Um, and right now it's a 50-50 Senate. So if you have two Democrats in your pocket, right, McConnell seized on those promises as an escape hatch, as well as leverage to use over the members in case Democrats take up the issue in the coming months. McConnell will give a longer take on the filibuster in his floor remarks uh, today, what we uh, what we're what they're saying today, two Democratic senators publicly confirmed they will not vote to end the legislative filibuster. With these assurances, I look forward to moving ahead with a power sharing agreement modeled on that precedent. And that's McConnell. Schumer spokesman Justin Goodman said in a follow up statement, quote, we're glad Senator McConnell threw in the towel and gave up his ridiculous demand. We look forward to organizing the Senate under Democratic control and starting getting big, bold things done for the American people. Let's rip another. 
Senator Bernie Sanders, not the meme, but the actual guy, the senator independent from Vermont, incoming chair of the Senate Budget Committee who caucuses with the Democrats. He told CNN State of the Union uh, on Sunday that Democrats plan to push a coronavirus relief package through the chamber with a simple majority vote. He said budget reconciliation would allow Democrats to forego the Senate 60 vote requirement and could potentially speed up the next relief package for millions of unemployed Americans. Democrats hold 50-50 split in the Senate. Vice President Kamala Harris will serve as the tie breaking vote. They did this, by the way, with the Affordable Care Act back in the day. What we cannot do, Sanders said, is wait weeks and weeks and months to go forward. We have got to act now. Absolutely. That's what's ripped from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marcus. You get through all my stuff. So sorry, Marky Mark. You helped me and give me so many great ripped pieces. But some of them are so long. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be uh, not concise, but uh, I, I want to be comprehensive and inclusive. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. When you come back, I'll guess it works. And we're back and we're glad to have our next guest back as well. In the house today is Dr. Bob Bollinger. Uh, He is the Raj and Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He holds joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in community public health at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. He is founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE, and the center is doing a lot of COVID-19 related work here in the United States and beyond our borders. Check out their website, main.ccge.com. He.net on Facebook. You can follow them there or like them there and become friends there. Facebook.com forward slash CCGHE. Uh, Dr. Bollinger, thank you for joining us and, and coming back on the program. I'm sure you're busy and I appreciate you taking the time. Good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon, Leslie. Thanks for having me back. Okay. Some people out there are getting Moderna. Some people are getting Pfizer. My husband's getting his this week. I think it's Pfizer. Um, both you have to get um, two injections, right? There's a first injection and, and then a second. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that are saying, what about these new variants that are coming up? How effective are these vaccines uh, from Moderna, from Pfizer? Uh, Moderna is saying that their vaccine for COVID-19 is effective against the new variants of the virus, uh, first appearing in the UK and then uh, South Africa. Can you speak to us about that? Because some people obviously already afraid of getting the vaccine, and even those who aren't are are frightened it might not be enough with these variants. Well, um, I got my second Pfizer shot last week, so I'm encouraging people to get the vaccine as well if uh, when their time is uh, opportunity comes up. Um, you know, the, the look, we've had variants of this uh, virus around since the very beginning of the, the epidemic back in December of last year. So these are RNA viruses. They, they mutate when they replicate or make copies of themselves routinely. So uh, this is not an unexpected thing. Um, the, the, the current vaccine strategies that have been, um, um, you know, distributed, the, the Pfizer, Moderna, uh, they're looking carefully at the immune response to make sure the antibodies that they induce work against these new variants. And in um, you know some recent studies that were done with the NIH and others, it looks to be um, like there's there may be somewhat reduced um, what we call neutralization from the antibodies induced by the vaccines, but they seem to be work pretty well. And so I think we should have some confidence that they're going to provide benefit uh, with these new variants. 
For clarification to those of us like myself that aren't medical personnel in layperson terms, possibly, doctor, um, the vaccine was as effective against the strain from the UK, I'm hearing, but they did see, uh, speaking to your point, a six-fold reduction in antibodies against the South Africa variant. Are these two separate variants? Um, and if that's the case, would it indicate that the South African variant is is tougher to control? Well, we'll have to wait and see. The, there was there might have been a reduction, but there was still apparently sufficient neutralization uh, against the South African variant that makes us have some confidence that the the current vaccines are going to continue to work even for that strain as well. We'll just have to see. Listen, we have um, dealt with this kind of thing before. We've had decades of experience with the influenza vaccine, for example, that has to be adjusted and tweaked every year. So we can deal with this, and I think we just have to monitor it carefully and follow it, and, and that's exactly what the scientists are doing. Well, oh, you know, absolutely. As you said, uh, the uh, neutralizing the antibodies generated by the vaccine remain above levels uh, that are expected uh, to be uh, protective. What, what is the main difference between, if you can speak to that, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, or, or, or does it really matter which people get? I mean, because I know some people are asking that question of my husband, even though he's an orthopedic surgeon and doesn't know the answer. Well, they, they both uh, have shown really excellent uh, protective benefit, specifically protecting against illness, uh, particularly uh, protecting against people getting significantly ill from COVID. So both vaccines work similarly well in that regard. They haven't been he uh, compared head to head. They've been done, studies have been done separately, but they both show excellent, greater than 90, 95% uh, you know, protection against um, COVID disease, COVID illness. So, so that's great. Um, you know, and I, I think they're both similar technologies. They're both what they call uh, mRNA technologies. They have slightly different manufacturing um, components, but you know, the, the Pfizer vaccine right now has to be kept at a, a colder temperature than the Moderna vaccine, uh, but they're both very similar. They, you know, uh, it's not recommended routinely that they be swapped in and out. You really should get, if you're going to, you know, get the first shot with one vaccine, you should get the second shot with the same vaccine if you can. And uh, because that's the way they were evaluated. So we know the data for that. We, we don't know is whether it's, it's going to make a difference whether you, you switch, for example, and get one with one with the other, uh, one with one vaccine, one with the other. And those studies need to be done, but they haven't been done yet. So we're, I think most, uh, most are recommending you stick with one or the other, and they're both excellent uh, choices. Now, right now, we get now, whatever get one's available to you. Right, right. Uh, the, the, right now, you get the first vaccine, and how much time um, has to uh, um, elapses between the first and the second? So for the Pfizer vaccine, it's about three weeks, and for the Moderna, it's about four weeks. And after that, does an individual need um, to get uh, an annual vaccination like we do with the flu shot going forward? Well, we don't know yet, but it's, it's certainly possible. I know that uh, Moderna would be surprised if the other companies as well aren't already you know, beginning to think about that, because we do that, as I said, with, with influenza all the time. So um, if necessary, you know, we could certainly, you know, see that happening. At this point, it doesn't seem to be um, uh, necessary at the moment, but we'll just have to track and see what happens over the next year. You mentioned that you just got your second vaccine. Um, I have friends in um, healthcare. care. Um, uh, or are or 
in various areas of healthcare, like pharmaceutical example, um, that had their first or second dose. Some people um, felt the uh, first vaccine, they had some side effects, not the second. Some people, the second, not the first. Some people had no side effects either way. And some people had side effects with both. Um, should people be concerned about these side effects? And if you don't mind sharing, did you experience any? Sure. Yeah. No, I had some side effects. Um, uh, I had some a sore arm and I had a fever and maybe some uh, body aches for about a day or so. Took some Tylenol. That was it. After the second shot, didn't feel much with the first shot, uh, but I was fine with it. I think it was actually I've had other vaccines as well, including the Shingrix, which I had, you know, even more reaction to than than the, the uh, COVID vaccine. So are you are you symptoms. eavesdropping on my uh, my my cocktail hour with my college girlfriends? Because that's exactly what my friend who's the pharmacist said. She said, I was <laughs> sick. <laughs> she goes like crazy with the shingles vaccine. She goes, the side effects for this weren't as bad. Very interesting. You had very, uh, a, a, yeah, a very mean, similar experience. Yeah. I mean, the side effects are expected with any vaccination. Right. Um, and you have to weigh the, the side effects against the benefit Absolutely. and the risk of not getting the vaccine. It's not even close. I mean, the, the calculus is not even close. Right. The, the benefit of this vaccine in preventing a deadly disease and a severe illness, perhaps even long hauler side effects. We'll have to see about that. Um, greatly outweighs, you know, you know, the, the inconvenience of a sore arm. I'd, you know, let me put it bluntly. I'd rather have a sore arm and a headache for a day than a tube in my throat and a ventilator for Ab a week. Absolutely. Doctor, to that point, are you surprised, even though numbers are coming up and confidence in those who say they'll take the vaccine, are, are, are you surprised about people who are hesitant, especially the numbers within healthcare who are hesitant as well? Well, I mean, I'm surprised perhaps a bit about the, the healthcare numbers, but, uh, but look, you know, there's been vaccine hesitancy, uh, in, uh, certainly in our country and, and, and in Europe um, in general, long before COVID. There's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of, um, you know, um, frankly, uh, um, untrue things that are said about vaccination and the risk and benefits. And that really confuses people. And I think um, that's that's, you know, we as a, as a um, you know, healthcare um and public health are, are partly to blame for not being more clear in the way we communicate, consistent in the way we communicate about these things. So it's yes. not a surprise that there's vaccine hesitancy. The other, of course, is that there's a lack of trust in some communities of, of, of um, health care and, and, you know, particularly communities that are disproportionately affected by yes. COVID, right? So there's yes. going to be a lot of vaccine hesitancy. We have to do a really we have to work really hard to overcome that because the, the the communities that need the vaccine the most are the ones that might have the biggest both structural and and um, and hesitancy barriers. Absolutely. Uh, Moderna, by the way, now says it's developing an additional booster dose against the South African strain and another booster to fight other emerging strains. So for those uh, that might be worried that that strain seems stronger, um, you know, they've already got their finger on the pulse of that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, political aspect, uh, but not politics as much as what's being proposed by our new president uh, regarding vaccinations and his goal and the numbers surrounding that. We'll be back with our guest and we'll be back with you. I hope you'll stick around to have more with Dr. Bob Bollinger, the Raj and Kamala Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Back after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. 
If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome or welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Our guest is Dr. Bob Bollinger. He is the Raj and Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He holds joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in community public health at the JH School of Nursing. He is founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education. They do a lot of COVID-19 related work here in the United States and throughout the world. Uh, thank you, Dr. Bollinger, for holding and welcome back. Uh, President Biden yesterday said that he believes America will be on track for one million vaccinations a day within the next three weeks, with the possibility of soon upping that number to 1.5 million vaccinations a day. Um, one, overambitious, or is that number possible? And is that number still too small uh, from your perspective as, as a medical professional? Well, I mean... We have to get the numbers up. Um, it, it really depends on the amount of vaccine that's available. If we, I think if we have more vaccine available, we can get it out there and get it distributed. I think we're learning, you know, some lessons about how to how to do this more efficiently. Um, there's some states doing a better job than others to, to get it out. So we're going to learn from each other. As soon as we get more vaccine, I think we'll find ways to get it into arms. Um, that's the mo- you know that's the most important thing. It's not the it's not the vaccines that are make the difference. It's the vaccinations. So we've got to get those vaccines into people's arms and we've got to do it, um, you know, at a, at a higher pace than we are now. And if we're really going to turn this around by the by the spring or summer. Yeah, that's what the president said. He said yesterday that he thinks any American who wants the vaccine can expect to receive one uh, by spring. He said, quote, I feel confident that su- by summer we're going to be well on our way to heading toward herd immunity. To that point, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the same thing. He said, if uh, you know a, a high percentage of of those who can in our, our nation can be vaccinated, then we could be looking at possibly not only reaching herd immunity but starting to re-enter life as we knew it prior to COVID uh, by September. Uh, overly ambitious or possible? No, it's certainly possible. We could even do it faster if we would. In the meantime, while we're waiting for the vaccines, stop spreading the infection to each other. Um, the things we could do now while we're waiting for the vaccines that we haven't done for well enough for the last 10 or 11 months that we, we, could, we could do now that would greatly help. Um, so we have to continue to do all the other things that Dr. Fauci and others have talked about to reduce the risk of transmission while we get this vaccine, the different vaccines rolled out. Um, we, other have, we also have other vaccines in the pipeline that hopefully in the next you know, few weeks or months uh, will be available to add to the, the stockpile that we need. So I have a lot of confidence that uh, we could do it. Uh, it's going to take everybody working together, and, and we can't rely simply on the vaccines. President Biden has been president less than a week, and I'm not asking you politically. Um, I'm just asking you uh, realistically. We're hearing that the newly appointed CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, over the weekend uh, said that this administration does not know the current number of COVID-19 vaccines available, and that was due to a lack of data gathering by the agency under the former administration. She said that the unclear inventory has made it more difficult for states to accurately plan their distributions. Even though it's been less than a week, are you noticing any dis- differences with regard to vaccinations or regard to fighting this COVID-19 virus between the former and the current administration from your perspective in healthcare? Well, obviously, it's too early to tell if things are going to 
you know, change uh, substantially, but we certainly hope so. And I have a lot of confidence in Dr. Walensky, who, by the way, is another proud Hopkins alum, who, yep. who's doing, who I have a lot of confidence in, as well as a lot of the other members of the, uh, the, the, the new COVID task force. And of course, Dr. Fauci is still there. So they're excellent advice. And I think if at the very least, we're seeing an improvement in the communication, um, which I, and the consistency in communication already, which I think is extremely important. Herd immunity minimum is 70%, about two-thirds of the population. Am I correct in that? Well, that's the guess. We'll have to see. But that's what the current model suggests. Um, and then remember, of course, you know, we've got to uh, include all the children in that right. calculation, right? And we don't have a vaccine yet that's a formulation that can be safely given to children. We're still trying to determine, you know, whether these vaccines will be safe and effective in the kids. And once we do that, we're going to need to figure out how to get kids vaccinate because kids uh, may not be at risk for getting sick, but they're at risk for, for getting infected and, and then spreading the infection to others that come in contact with at home and the community and school, et cetera. So it's not just the adults, it's the, the children have to be protected as well for us. Yeah, to we need to inoculate them. the vast majority of adults. And like you said, you have to have the vaccines, get them out there, have people will and get them into their arms. It is a major undertaking. I do not uh, envy those, uh, uh, you know, who are in, in any way involved in this, whether it's healthcare uh, on one end or, or politics uh, on the uh, on the other end. Um, so, looking at numbers uh, to get to approximately seventy percent of our population uh, by July fourth, um, by Labor Day, we would have to have one point nine million doses per day to reach uh, herd immunity by the first of next year. We need one point two million doses per day. Let me ask you two questions. Um, because it's so early and because this vaccine was created so quickly by Pfizer, Moderna, and, and other organizations the United States is not using, like Oxford, uh, over uh, over the pond, as they say, um, you know, or, one, the vaccine, you know, helps your immune system fight off COVID, but it it doesn't necessarily, they don't know, I would imagine, if if you have any, if you're a carrier in any way, um, you know, does it prevent you from spreading that to someone else, correct? We don't know the answer to that. And, there, you know, look, there's a recent example that illustrates that very clearly. So as you may recall, there have been a number of uh, Congress, uh, uh, members of Congress who were uh, infected since uh, the 6th of uh, January, the, um, who were, you know, locked together in, the, in, a, in a room, unfortunately, for that day. And subsequently, I think there have been at least eight congressmen who have now additional congressmen or women that have uh, been diagnosed with COVID positivity. Yes. Many of them have been vaccinated before, right? Um, they may not have had enough time for the vaccine to, to induce enough immunity, because I think I may be wrong, but I believe the Congress uh, was had act, some of the members of Congress had access to the vaccine around mid uh, to late December. So some of those same folks who got infected had been had at least one vaccine. Um, already. Mm. So that now uh, I'm only aware from the public record that there are only two of those who are symptomatic and they've had mild symptoms and we hope that continues. So maybe they, there's some, some therapeutic benefit, but the fact is that they had a positive test. So the virus was in their nasal passages, despite the fact that they've had at least one vaccine. Well, that illustrates a couple of things. Number one is it, it takes time for the vaccine to work. Number two, um, it probably takes, um, and we think this is true from the data, at least two two shots for these vaccines to have maximum protection. 
The number three, it, it may protect against people from getting sick, but not necessarily from getting infected. Uh, so ha that means having the virus in their nose. And so theoretically, those same people could be infectious to others. We just and because, don't know the and because we don't yet. know this, doctor, would it be wise? And do you think that Fauci and those out there like yourself are going to recommend continuing to wear masks, even if you've been vaccinated? Oh, absolutely. In fact, if you see Dr. Fauci, who's been vaccinated, he's still wearing a mask for the for exactly that reason. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think uh, I think I, I've read somewhere that we'll probably be wearing masks well into 2022 and we may never return to life, quote, as we knew it before? Well, I'm not sure about that, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have to wear masks uh, for a longer period of time while we while we allow the vaccine to really take hold and herd immunity to kick in and wrap this up. Um, you know, we may find that, uh, you know, there are lots of societies where during flu season, uh, a lot of people wear masks. A lot, of, a lot of Asian societies, it's routine, right? We could, we could be having a similar situation here for a while. But I expect them to get a lot better. Um, uh, and I just wish they would get better sooner. And we could certainly contribute to that by, uh, by not waiting for the vaccine. But when it is our opportunity to get the vaccination, but in the meantime, wear a mask, continue, continue your physical distancing and all the other steps that are necessary. Right. You had mentioned uh, more vulnerable communities, and those especially are communities of color. Um, they are falling behind in the effort here in the United States with va for vaccines in cities uh, throughout uh, the nation. Uh, these neighborhoods that were like, as you had mentioned, rightly so, they were hardest hit by uh, the coronavirus uh, they're being vaccinated at a much uh, slower rate than uh, wealthier, whiter uh, counterparts. Um, and uh, preventing socioeconomic disparities in the vaccination, we knew would be an uphill battle because some of these communities are very untrusting of government um, or of medicine, uh, you know, uh, based, based on history. Um, what, what else can we do, um, you know, to, to help in those communities that because these people are being affected disproportionately by COVID? Oh, absolutely, and and we needed we need to do a lot more than we're doing now to address that disparity. Listen, uh, the reason people are not having access the same access to vaccines are the same many of the same reasons that they're having increased risk of COVID and increased mortality uh, because of the structural barriers, the lack of access to care, you know, lack of. Uh, I mean, if people can't get primary care. How are they going to get a vaccine, right? If they live in communities where they live far away from healthcare uh, or from vaccination centers, or if they, they don't have access to the, you know, internet uh, in order to go online to, to sign up for a vaccine. I mean, there's so many structural barriers that, um, that are not only, uh, per, you know, limiting their access to vaccination, and in, um, as well as, as you said, uh, increasing, um, you know, the distrust um, of, of um, healthcare systems and of, of the vaccine itself, these are the same, you know, disparities that that uh, are the reason why uh, these communities have such high r rates of uh, illness and death from COVID yes. as well as. In yes, doctor, thank you so much. Uh, the hour just flew by, or the half hour that you were with us today. Thank you for taking the time, and thank you for all that you do um, as a physician fighting this pandemic and trying to get us uh, back on track and get our lives back to normal. Dr. Bob Bollinger, uh, Rajan Kamu Gupta, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Like I said, he's founding director at the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, CCGHE. Uh, check out their website, main.ccghe.net, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 
C-C-G-H-E. A shout out to Mark Grimaldi, my executive producer. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with you later this week. It's a new year, and with T-Mobile, it's not about how far apart we are. It's about how close we can be. So we're bringing out our best deal. Right now, get the iPhone 12 on us on every single plan with eligible iPhone trade-in. So I can FaceTime with my sister in Savannah. That's right. The iPhone 12 on us on every plan. All on America's 5G leader in coverage. T-Mobile. With 24 monthly bill credits and a new line plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us for well-qualified buyers. Qualifying consumer plan required. See coverage and offer details at T-Mobile.com. The Lexus NX is crafted to take on the modern adventure called life. Alexa, what's the quickest route home? With Amazon Alexa compatibility and the advanced Lexus safety system, the Lexus NX is modern utility for the modern world. Because modern obstacles require modern solutions. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. Amazon Alexa and all related logos are trademarks of Amazon.com Inc. or its affiliates. Not all Amazon Alexa functionality is available for in-vehicle use.